to the next installment of the SUAS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your program host, Patrick Egan. Today, we are going to talk about uh, ag drone mapping with MicroSense, and we have two guests. We have Drew Bostine from uh, MicroSense, MicroSense, and Greg Kritzinger from Scholar Farms. and we're going to talk about uh, ag, drones for ag, uh, remote sensing, hopefully some different uh, softwares and whatever else. So without further ado, let's bring on our first guest, Drew Boston from uh, MicroSense, Business Development Manager at MicroSense. How's it going, Drew? Oh, good. Thanks, Patrick. All right. So uh, I know everybody's busy. You're probably busy. The sun's shining. People are out making hay. Um, things are busy for you guys. Um, but possibly for the listening audience, Drew, could you could you give us a brief bio and how you came to work um, with small unmanned aircraft systems, remote sensing, ag, etc.? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess it all started with um, AgFunder. You ever heard of AgFunder? No, I can't say that that's ringing a bell. Okay, so it's a it's a website. It's kind of, it's kind of a publication that talks about um, companies that received funding. Um, so back in 2000, when was it? 2016. I had taken some time away from the ag industry to coach rowing as crazy as that sounds i was out in philadelphia at university of pennsylvania coaching heavyweight rowing because i did that in undergrad and i always wanted to get back and do some coaching but um i kind of got that out of my system and i wanted to get back into the ag space and um and so i i started looking kind of looking at what's going on in in ag tech on ag funder and i knew that people who typically get funding rounds are doing a lot of hiring and I saw that MicroSense had gotten a, like a $7 million round from Paris. Um and so I was like okay those people are probably looking for for salespeople. <laughs> so I uh, sent, my, sent my resume to them, gave them a little bit of background on how I used to work at the Climate Corporation um, during their startup years 2011 to 2014 and through the acquisition, the Monsanto acquisition and um, I got an ag degree at, at um, at Cornell, and uh, I've worked a couple other ag-related positions between Cornell and uh, and Climate Corp. So I had a pretty strong ag background, um, and I knew the environment in um, in a startup company, and I kind of was looking for that again. And uh, and so they they bought my story, and uh, they brought me on board, and I've been with them for about three and a half years. Eh, they bought my story. That's that's a good one. That's funny. Well, you know, already in the first, you know, several minutes of this conversation, we've already learned some, uh, let's say, valuable lessons, and that is is uh, startups with lots of money tend to hire people. I'm going to write that one down. I'm writing that right down right now. Uh, the other one that we learned here is, you know, remember the uh, – I, I kind of make light of it, but in the old days, you know, it was like farm drones, you know, and people were like farm drones, what, you know, and I'm asking what the, what the heck does that mean? But uh, we're going to unpack yeah. that. 
you know. Um, now, so, you know, our other guest, uh, west of the Rockies on the Time Traveler line, Greg Kretschinger from Scholar Farms. Are you there, Greg? I am, I am. Can you hear me? <laughs> I can. You made me sweat there. We're 10 seconds out, and, uh, you know, you were nowhere to be found. <laughs> Sorry, I was stuck in traffic, trying to get to San Jose. <laughs> stuck in traffic. I know it could be like three in the morning on Monday night, stuck in traffic on my way to San Jose. Yeah, I know, trying to get to San Jose. I feel like that's a normal. That's a, me and the rest of of California. I feel like exactly all at the same time, which is all the time. Do you want to tell yeah. people where you're going, or is that secret? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's not, it's not secret. So this week uh, in in St. Louis is, is InfoAg. It's the big precision agricultural workshop. Um, but down in San Jose is actually the the cannabis business expo for all the uh, the cannabis industry in California. And so I decided um, that you know I'm I'm pretty interested in understanding what this new market means for imagery and remote sensing and you know what has been kind of a blacklisted. Uh, uh, agricultural market, um, but it's growing, and and, uh, and so you know we we haven't had as much research and and R and D on the on uh, the side of cannabis, whether that's hemp or whether that's uh, medicinal or recreational. I mean, I don't really care. I'm interested in the plant science side of things, and and what's the role of drones besides delivery? I care nothing about drone delivery. I see like a couple of vertical or a couple of applications in the same vertical. But again, you know, that's the thing that I love about this podcast. Here we are, you know, we're we're just a few minutes in. And this is another one that I'm writing down here. Looks like there might be um, some money in cannabis. So I've, it, I've got a couple of leads. A lot, I think there's a lot of cash. And, and it seems to me like similar to the drone industry. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of people rushing in. Uh, you know, it's kind of 2015 of the drone industry, and so what's what's going to shake out, and what's the role of drones in this particular market? It's a high-value crop, smaller scale. Um, that's really where drone imagery uh, plays a role, and so uh, what are the problems? What, what, what's the low-hanging fruit in terms of problems to solve? So that's what I'm trying to understand because I don't know. You know, I don't know. Oh, there's so many jokes in there, but we're going to leave that for another show, and I will definitely have to circle back in. Uh, on that one when you do your fact finding uh, tour but I will keep you posted <laughs> thank you so for um, people that don't know who you are Scholar Farms is uh, could you you know give us a, a bio I mean you've been on the program before but you know not everybody yeah totally. every so it, so I'm a plant scientist uh, by training I know Drew really well Drew. Um, and uh, um, I started in academia doing the kind of research tenure track. I had graduate students in a lab and all that stuff. I gave all that up to join the commercial drone industry. I was super excited about it. Uh, that was 2014 into 2015 and 16, and I've kind of rotated through some of the hardware and software companies as in that tumultuous time. Um, and I started Scholar Farm specifically as kind of a training and consulting company around plant mapping. You know, plants are a little more challenging to map than, like, a gravel pit um, in terms of they're living things and they change throughout the rain season and there's all, all different types. Um, and so I work with a range of folks um, from drone service providers and growers that want to learn. I offer um, a whole series of in-person workshops. So we've been hustling all around California offering these 
Uh, and then I work one-on-one -on -one with companies that are trying to build out their standard operating procedures on what sensor, uh, how high to fly, at what time point, what are they trying to do. And that's a lot of research trials and, and breeding trials and, and uh, more on the R&D side of, of big commercial companies that want a scientific advisor. So that's kind of what we do is, is uh, train at different scales, so from one-on-one -on -one all the way up to, to big companies. Okay, that's that's good. So, you know, now that you've derided my gravel pit, Fred Flintstone, <laughs> uh, vertical. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, okay, I mean, so, that's where people are actually making money, I think. <laughs> yes, in the open pit mines. Yes, it sounds exciting. No, but I know what you're saying. You know, you have something that's not uh, living, and then you have something that is living, and you have a uh, planting and a harvesting cycle and all the rest of these things, and time of day, uh lots of variables in farming. So in the beginning of this podcast, when I brought Drew on, we were talking a little bit about that. And you remember um, in the early days when it was like farm drones and there was like kind of, you know, after that, everybody was like kind of, hey, well, what does farm drones mean? So we've heard plenty about farm drones over the years, promise, potential. I don't know that anybody really knew what that was in the early days. It was like, Hey, we're going to do some digital photography and, and look at the uh, plants from the sky had limitations. I, I think that that kind of was over pretty quick and people want expected or wanted a little bit more drew. What, what, what were your yeah. observations over the, this uh, period since you've been involved yeah, um, well, it seems like a lot of farmers own a drone right now, um, and a lot of them are not in use, um, and a lot of them are just sort of consumer grade, and they're able to do what you were describing. So you can fl you can fly up and uh, take some pictures or some videos and uh, get an idea of what's going on from a bird's eye view. Um, I and I think there are some pretty simple practical applications for that kind of technology in uh, especially in row crops um, like if one example I can think of I had a conversation with a, far, a pretty big farmer in Iowa and they were just using a phantom with a, a um, an RGB camera to see where their their fungicide aerial applicator was was spraying too wide and and wasn't being thorough in his applications and so it's, it's a lot of a lot of stuff you can identify just in terms of how um, people are are managing the farm. It's it's not maybe as closely related to like spotting small um, agronomic problems, but it's more just like oh crap, we didn't cover everything with with fungicide as we should have, and we really need to fix that next year. Um, so there's some like pretty. There's some pretty simple applications for that sort of technology, but if you're wanting to to see small changes, um, small agronomic changes like nutrient deficiency or um, you know or or how the water's um, draining in the soil um, or just a number of things related to the the health of the plant canopy, um, that's when you need to go a step further and and maybe graduate to a multispectral camera from the from the RGP. Right, right. Well, you know, and and I guess you know, it, you're. I know you're traveling the country, and uh, you're seeing different. I mean, there's different problems in different geographical locations. I like hear in California, uh, you know, before last year when it was raining, uh, the water thing was getting pretty pretty scary. 
we've got some high value crops like uh, nut trees, whatever. People are, are using these to see if the trees are stressed, uh, things like that. So when you get into uh, situations like that, then you're going to want more than just the RGB camera. Um, it allows you to see these things earlier, right? And, and it also uh, maybe react instead of, uh, let's say, seeing something like a plant stress that you can't react to. A fair right. statement. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it seems like it's actually kind of been funny to watch, um, like Greg was saying, the hype in, in the drone space and drones and ag over the last few years. And I think... I think everyone had these expectations that it was going to do a lot of things, and then um, they realized that it wasn't really delivering that initially, and then people kind of got unenthused, and now we're seeing a resurgence of, of technology, um, software, analytical tools that, are, that are, are kind of slowly coming back, and they're providing like simple application usefulness. Um, like, for example, uh, there's a company called Aerobotics that focuses on tree crops and they're using the multispectral data from our camera to just have a better understanding of like how scouting um, should be planned for a field. So it's basically like, is this tree lower in biomass than it should be? Like, yes or no? Okay, yes, let's go check it out. And like, it's basically doing that for the whole orchard and then it's planning out a, a scouting route that's most efficient. So um, it's just like, it's not that complicated of an application, but it's like simple, and it's and the farmer understands it, and uh, and it's actually like effective. Well, and and that's that's my next question. I think I'm going to throw that out to Greg because he's doing this training. But okay, so and and I know I mean the first time we met, you were uh, kind of I think that you were over at 3D Robotics. Um, and you were the education guy there, but we kind of talked about these different uh, applications and processes. Um, in the beginning, I think people ran out there, thought we were just going to fly the drone, get some pictures, it was going to be good, maybe stitch them together, whatever else. Greg, did you see, let's say, did it meet the client expectations? Did things get beyond, let's say, the droner um, out of the gate? Where, where are we at today with all of that? Yeah, I mean, I'm actually feeling pretty, uh, I feel like Drew is, is right, like there's kind of this re resurgence uh, or resurgence in interest in the ag space and, and for two reasons. Uh, one, one of the major pain points was the processing side. So like I'm in a rural bandwidth internet and I have to upload, uh, you know, 3,000 photos and it's going to take two and a half days. Well, now we have some ultra rapid processing tools um, for visualization. So like drone deploys live map for RGB is like pretty good for getting a quick spot check of, of using a phantom and just, I, I agree with Drew, I think row crops um, looking at variability in greenness across a homogenous field of wheat actually does a pretty good job in, in spotting just general uh, variability. PIX40 fields is a new product that'll stitch red edge data uh, and, and RGB data and you'll have a map in five minutes and offline instead of trying to upload everything and not on a you don't need a three thousand dollar computer i can even do it on my mac which i really appreciate you know i don't have to just lug a pc out in the field and wait seven hours of processing so solving that processing pain point is like and getting pretty instantaneous results is 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 really good but you still have 
20 map layers now, and I'm a busy person out in the field season. Uh, trying to look through pretty pictures and pretty maps is, is not as helpful and trying to just eyeball it. Well, now it's some of these analytic t- tools like plant counting, it's becoming fairly off the shelf, some of the machine learning side of things. Um, and overlays of summary statistics to say, like, oh, it's not just red to green. It shows me actually this is a 20% difference. You know, just basic mm. stuff like that is actually making it useful for people to make some make some decisions and not just eyeballing uh, colors on a map, you know. So I think right. the more that we verticalize, but that takes verticalization. It's different for grapes than it is for almonds than it is for wheat. And just like the rest of the drone industry, I think you're starting to see companies come out with analytics that focus on very specific verticals uh, within agriculture that actually makes it useful and applicable. So. Yeah, and I, you know, this is uh, one of the things that uh, years ago said, uh, you know, and I'm not like I'm you know, soothsay or something, but something that needed to happen. Uh, in the early 2000s, I would fly my slow stick cracker barrel an ag and you know take pictures for people and they wanted to geo reference things or whatever but be honest i don't know uh really anything about agriculture and uh really i couldn't grow anything and you know i don't know the differences let's say uh that are needed for trees or row crops or whatever so again if anyone you know in the ag community were to ask me well you know what does this mean i'd be like uh I don't know. So it was uh, pretty limited. And I don't think that I was, uh, when I was trying to do farm drones for myself in the early 2000s, that I was really meeting client expectations. Actually, I would say that I was not meeting client expectations because I did have a couple of people yell at me. But I'm like, hey, you know, I'm not a farmer. I don't know. Both of you guys have an ag background. uh, And I guess that overlays across some of these different crops? Is, is that kind of true? You want to uh, yeah, here? I mean, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so the, the tricky thing, I'll say one more thing about row crops maybe. Maybe I'll say more about it. But um, the tricky <laughs> thing that I've seen on, uh, especially in corn, um, people are always, I think I've heard this a lot, that people say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to fly this field with the red edge, and then we're going to get, um, you know, we're going to use the NDRE map or the NDVI map, and we're going to use that for variable rate application. I've heard that like five dozen times. And the truth is that if somebody has the capacity to do variable rate application, they have better data sets that are going to do a better job of variable rate than a map captured by a red edge. And the reason is because they've got, They've got um, pop, like planting population maps. They've got um, they've got harvest maps, like yield maps from the year before. They've got um, soil maps. So like the tricky part in commodity crops and the data that the red edge is capturing and doing variable rate application on row crops is like how does it fit into all the other data sets they have? And so um, that's why we're seeing better adoption. Um, I guess twofold. We're seeing really good adoption in the academic space, people who are doing uh, research for plant breeding where they're looking at like uh, phenotyping for different plots. Um, That's when our data can be really useful. Um, We're also seeing adoption in in higher value crops like we've been talking about because um, it's it's more of just like a direct scouting tool um, than it is like how can I integrate this data set into 
into my my precision ag system. Hmm. Well, I mean, that's another thing, though, too, right? I mean, I think this was another misconception uh, that the droners had in the early days, as I think, um, you know, and then even the people that I talked to in the field, they would say, oh, you know, this drone guy came out here and he was going to cure all these problems that we had in the 50s and 60s. And a lot of them didn't realize that already there was a, you know, a lot of data being collected by tractors and the way that people are farming is more of a scientific um, method, I guess, you know, precision agriculture, and it's all being refined. You, you want to yeah. take that, Greg? You, you, did you find the same, or I was just talking to some guys out in the field? Yeah, in terms of, I mean, I think that, you know, there's the, the precision ag world is, is kind of the Wild West, kind of like the drone world, and probably like the cannabis world as well that I'm about to head into. Um, you know, it's, it's there's a lot of hype around it, but when it comes to kind of boots on the ground, how do you actually uh, use this stuff and implement it? Um, you know, it's, it's, it really has to be functional. I've learned that from the academics. I mean, I've tried, tried to have, the, or I've had the academic teeth kind of kicked out of me in terms of dealing with folks as like, Hey, it's got to work, you know? And if I don't have time to be, uh, you know, dealing with finicky software and hardware and all this kind of stuff like I did as an academic, I could waste, I could stick a grad student on it and waste five years and that's fine as long as we got to write a, write a paper at the end of the, end of that term or whatever. But in, uh, in commercial applications, the stuff has to work or they're going to move on, you know? And, and so I think we're to the point now in the drone industry where the hardware works. Ideally we could, do it at scale with flying beyond visual line of sight and using large fixed wings, but we're not there yet in terms of legal uh, regulations. I think that's one of the biggest limits at, at doing this at scale is, is really uh, how, do, how do I map not just 50 acres, but 5,000, you know, and make that cost effective. Right. And that's a whole nother podcast and, you know, scientifically um, determining, you know, the risk of flying out and, you know, I have this, uh, let's say test area in my mind called Corn Bluff, Iowa, you know, where the guy's out there doing, you know, 500 acres of corn out in the middle of nowhere. But like I said, podcast for another time. Um, where, you know, where we're at with the, the, the sensors and the, the drones are getting pretty sophisticated. I had a guy call me a few years ago and he called me up and he's like, and I'm not deriding him, but he calls me up and he says, you know, I'm looking for cherry picking software. And I'm like, there's cherry picking software? <laughs> and he's like, no, no, you know, we got cherries, man. They're out there on the trees now, and we want to fly over and make sure that, you know, uh, the pickers, contract pickers didn't miss any trees because there's X amount of cherries in the tree, yada, yada, yada. Are we there yet, like, where we can start spotting, you know, um, crops in the trees and in the fields and can we can we make that determination of, of you know how, how this is coming along what the yield may be uh no <laughs> so we don't have any cherry picking software yet damn it cherries and trees would be really difficult um probably like the the closest thing you could come to with our with a multi-spectral camera would be to map it in bloom and to make a like an estimate on how many cherries are, are going to be in the fall based on that but that the issue you run into there is just i mean when you're flying the camera you're getting mostly uh first of all 
multi-spectral cameras aren't necessarily going to be delivering high spatial resolution. They're more focused on the, the spectral resolution. Um, and you're really just going to be seeing, like, the tree from the top down. So any cherries that, or apples or, you know, whatever type of fruit we're looking at um, that are inside the canopy, you're not going to see those. Um, so maybe you could get, like, an estimate based on the cherries you see and make some assumptions on what's in the tree. Um, but I guess that being said, there are, uh, I think there are some companies who are using uh, LiDAR sensors on ATVs and they're driving them uh, through the rows of, of orchards and they're kind of making a 3D image of, of the structures of the trees. And so if you do that, you get a little bit of an understanding of, of the yield. I mean, I think I'd equate it to, you know, there, there are companies and a lot of startups that are working on kind of compu computer vision for fruit detection and, and, uh, uh, and doing kind of better forecasting because that can actually save a lot of money if you can, if you can forecast better and predict yields of different sized fruits and bin them. Uh, but I think we're at the same point of R where it's just pure R&D, PhD level computer vision research, similar right. to uh, trying to teach a car how to identify a bicyclist versus a scooter versus a, you know, a pedestrian. I think it, it's the same technology. Uh, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be years, not months, before that's really a trustworthy thing that could be put in some sort of consumer or uh, uh, commercial-grade software. Well, and that was the second thing he asked me is how fast I thought someone could come up with cherry-picking software because the cherries were in the trees. And I said, well, I doubt we're going to get anything this season. But anyway, so... <laughs> We'll, uh, there's a lot of work being being done on it, but you know, training it's uh, it's you know, it, it also may take growing newer varieties that have architecture that allows computers to see the fruit better. You know, I mean, I think there's there it's a give and take of, of how do we get a computer to see the fruit and how do we get the fruit to make it easier to see with a computer. Well, that's uh, and that's an interesting concept, and and I do think that you know someday we'll be there. Um, and it's kind of funny today, cherry picking software, and it might be one of those things in the future where, like, fifty years ago, they were laughing about this <laughs> crackpot laughing. Anyway, um, it, I mean the advancements that we're making are, are really good, and the idea, even in the precision agriculture. Uh, let's say concept of less farm inputs and a better upstream neighbor with, you know, uh, runoff and yada, yada, I think it's starting to pay off. Plus the, uh, the farming is getting pretty lean and mean these days as far as uh, like analyzing the data and using that data. I mean, is, is everyone getting in on the precision ag thing? And if you're not in precision ag, where are you? Drew, you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, if you go to any really large-scale farm, and, and across the U.S., and probably, this is probably true for most of um, the world, farms are consolidating, getting really getting bigger. And the bigger you get, the more uh, the more ROI you get on on precision ag investments. So, like, if you go to any any major farm anywhere, they're probably going to be they're probably going to have at least some. Um, precision ag technology, um, if not like heavily involved in precision ag, um, the, just some of that stuff. The ROI is like pretty clear, and uh, yeah, and, and I think um, we've we've alluded to it a couple of times. But there are there are companies now that are showing more promise in in 
finding a way to fit in um, drone-based imagery um, into that into that big picture than we've ever seen before. Um, so, like Greg was saying, you know, you, you'd have to put some grad students on that on on a certain problem, and they'd work on it for four years. Well, we've got companies with lots of people on staff that are working on those problems now, and they're in some cases, and, and like you said, every crop is different. Um, so the, the thing is, I think early on, people were just making a broad application like, this is going to solve for agriculture, and now we're looking at specific um, solutions for specific crops at specific growth stages even. So once you have that focus, um, then you can start building out um, tools that can actually be applied to a particular crop. But it, it takes patience, and uh, it's not as, like, I don't know. It's not as like widely adopted as probably people were were envisioning, but it's 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 more of an, an effective route to to adopting drone-based imagery. Hmm. And let me throw the wild card out there. So you know, you go to the grocery store now, and I'm paying top dollar for organic. You know, um, you know, but I would think that people that are growing uh, organic. Um, would think, wow, geez, you know, I could use all the data I can get and maybe, uh, you know, nip a, um, let's say, a, f a fungus in the bud by, uh, you know, getting a little bit of intelligence early or, you know, a pest infestation, uh, something that I could manage while it's small um, instead of something that, that uh, turns into a larger problem. So with organic, is this... Uh, you know, multispectral and, and thermal and, and whatnot, is, is, it, is it effective in, let's say, assisting the organic farmer in um, his job or her job? Yeah, it's, it's intriguing. And um, I guess to be candid, I haven't seen a lot of um, organic farming operations reaching out um, Really? Hmm. I mean, the, log the logic is there um, that if they don't have, if they're not making broad applications of herbicide or, you know, um, stuff that wouldn't be considered organic, then they'd probably have a, more of a benefit to identifying small issues before they come, become big issues. So I agree with you, but um, I just, I can't name any examples off the top of my head. Uh, Patrick, I think, you know, I think we've had like these, I think it's been like the rest of the drone industry. It's like, well, they're, you know, their kid or their nephew bought a drone and they went out and they flew in and they kind of looked at the pictures and then they decided, well, uh, I don't know. So I'm going to move on, you know. <laughs> and so it's great for like the webpage, but what, is, what does this stuff actually mean? I think the, the more interest for things like diseases, tracking disease across a region, you know, and, and, and how do you look at the spread in all of California of, you know, or all of Florida of citrus greening or something like that. Um, where I think the opportunities are in drones is not to be cliche, which I'm fairly cliche on a regular basis, but <laughs> I think it's in the crowdsourceability of drone technology of not just one Mavic, but hundreds of Mavics or, uh, you know, or all the crop extension centers flying uh, red edges, you know, the red edges is, is 
probably one of the most open cameras in terms of academic use of processing imagery and, and uh, calibrating it. You're not tied to one, one black box software. You can use it in a range of softwares. Where I see the opportunity in the space is scaling the information that's collected at a regional level for crops and providing that to growers. And that really has to come through USDA and crop extension centers adopting the technology mm -hmm. and, and disseminating that information at a whole. And that's where the opportunity to, to build an engine where ag data is fit into, public, publicly funded engine, um, and use that information to, to move the sciences and, and move the uh, recommendations forward. I think that's where, where, the, where people are missing out today is these crop extension centers and leveraging them uh, to their full potential with drone technology. All right, well, let me ask yeah. you. I've got that's a couple. That's a good point. I mean, I was just going to say yeah. that's a good point, and, like, we are seeing adoption by those kind of organizations. Um, so, you know, different different governmental institutions are definitely using the cameras, so that's exciting. Well, and what I was going to add to that is that one thing that I found in my experience, uh, you know, doing the farm drone routine is farmers are really kind of secretive about their process. And it's like, you know, I got my secret sauce for growing soybeans or whatever, you know. Um, how, how does that play into the that open source concept that you were uh, just espousing, Greg? Yeah, I mean, that's the same with, with, with finding host locations for these workshops that I give. Um, you know, one of the reasons I haven't done much in the cannabis world is everybody's so secretive. And some of that is left over from it being illegal. Um, but also they're growing their products and their brands and all that kind of stuff. That's why I tend to leverage, like in California, we have the UC, uh, the Agriculture and Natural Resource uh, uh, System through the University of California. They got nine research and extension centers across the state, um, a lot of farm advisors trying to find these areas that are kind of unbiased that people can come and learn and then take it back, um, kind of prevent them from having you know people that they don't know or their competitors or their neighbors on their farm kind of looking at variability in the data sets and saying oh this guy's got a problem you know um, so i think leveraging um the, these kind of cooperatives and extension centers and growers associations is, is really where you can train and scale it um the problem is is in the academic realm is they don't the budget cycles and the funding is pretty low and so changing the hardware and the cameras and the sensors every six months or a year or every two years is hard for these these guys to keep up you know mm -hmm. uh, on the technology and the software they got a lot of other stuff they got to do um so that's what i'm trying to help them do on a regular basis it's just an advisor to say hey buy this don't buy this or hey wait six months and you know phantom five should be out or not you know or not. Well, and uh, that's kind of, this uh, changes the way I'm going to ask the question. Because, I mean, with some of this uh, ag stuff, I mean, maybe there's a little bit of secret sauce. But, I mean, a lot of it is, is probably uh, establishing baselines that you can work off of. And, I mean, is that is that kind of what you're talking about when you say open source? Uh, what we're trying to figure out here? Yeah, I mean, the calibrate, so... So you have the camera and the drone for collecting the imagery, but then how you process it and then the analytics, um, there's a lot of open source tools that you can put those base maps in and extract it, or you can use proprietary tools. And that's what Precision Hawk and other folks are developing as their proprietary tools and analytics so that you're bought into their software side and they're making money off, off software. Um, the academics don't want the black box. 
you know, the researchers want it to be as open as possible and share as much information about the photos and the maps and the imagery. They don't, they want to know how you calibrated the light data on the map. Um, that's a little different than commercial growers who are more just interested in, is this answer right or not? Uh, I, mm. I care less about how you did it as long as it's right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, where the rubber meets the road. So now the other uh, question I want to ask you is, so, you know, uh, Drew, okay, you know, let's, I'm going to draw the parallel for, let's say, the layperson here um, with a, you know, DSLR, digital DSLR. I mean, most people will buy a um, DSLR and they have no idea how to really, let's say, wring the value out of that, you know. And, and even myself, I'm a green box shooter. It's very simple to use. Your sensor has got a lot of uh, capabilities, different um, sensors on board. Are, do, you, do you see, are, do you have people asking for more? Or are they like, hey, this is great. And I, I know what I'm doing here and I can wring uh, all of the value out of this? Or where, where are you at with these sensors? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, 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 I guess there are a few things that people typically are, are looking for when they get a multispectral camera. They're looking at what spectral bands is it capturing. Um, so that basically means, like, what slivers of reflectance is that camera picking up along the reflectance profile, and, and how does that relate to the health of the, the plant canopy? Um, the other thing is they're typically looking for what's the radiometric accuracy. So how well is it calibrated? How well is the reflectance data that I'm seeing? Um, how closely is that correlated to what's actually happening on the ground? Um, so the, the spectral bands that, that we're capturing, blue, green, red, red edge, and near infrared, they're pretty universally accepted as like the standard multispectral bands to be used when analyzing a plant canopy. So I think... Um, you know, all the academics that we sell to are are pretty well versed in what they can do with those bands, and uh, and also all the analytical companies like Precision Hawk and Florisat and um, these companies that are building analytics around the data out of the Red Edge. They're obviously, you know, of course, they're well versed in in the outputs of the camera. Um, I guess one one thing one request we get quite often from people who are more advanced is like they have specific requests for spectral bands. Um, so maybe outside of the blue, green, red, red edge, and near infrared, they're looking for something that might be a little bit different. Um, and so we're kind of we're currently looking into you know potentially you know what other spectral bands could provide value, um, could potentially tell you more about the plant canopy than just the five that are currently offered in the red edge and the awesome. But it, yeah, it's I mean, power. thermal is kind of one of the, I would say thermal for getting at water use efficiency, like you kind of, you need that temperature combined with the, uh, with the spectral imagery. So having, you know, I mean, Drew, you want to talk a little bit about that in terms of the advancement of the Altum and, and, um, yeah, yeah. And, Good point. and water. Yeah, well, water is a big that. issue. So, yeah. So with a, in, in November of last year, uh, we, re- we released a new camera called the Altum. So it's the same five spectral bands as the Red Edge, but it has a higher it has higher resolution imagers on the multispectral side. And then we also integrated a, a, fle- a thermal sensor from FLIR that's uh, capturing radiometric thermal data that can be aligned um, with the multispectral. Um, and so that basically means that once the data is processed, you can look at the multispectral and see 
variability in, in maybe um, in biomass and chlorophyll content, even in like plant species variability. And then you can switch over and look at the thermal and see um, maybe you can see how your irrigation system is working, whether there are leaks that are causing standing water or saturated soils, um, or if um, if your plant is responding poorly to um, to drought stress, maybe they've stopped um, respiring or perspiring, and um, that canopy is starting to heat up. Sometimes you can see earlier indicators of stress that's going to eventually lead to damage in biomass and chlorophyll content by looking at the thermal data because the plant tends to change temperature before it starts to change um, physiologically. So if you catch it early. Same in like California fuel, like if you want to know if a forest is going to burn, you can look at how green it is, but if you also know the temp, you know, how dry the wood is, that changes yeah. the combustibility. It's the same in crop systems as well. So it's really the future is kind of combining these, uh, the imagery, the thermal temperature, and then weather and, and weather patterns to really pre have more predictive analytics. You know, putting all those layers together is really what's required. Um, but there's a lot of nuance to that, and, you know, it's hard yeah. to scale nuance. It is hard to scale nuance, and, and, you know, that's what I was kind of asking. So you, you it sounds like, you know, to really ring – everything out of this uh, you need some of those nuances but you also kind of need to know what you're looking for what you're looking at to uh let's say maximize the return on the information on the roi here uh but you know what you're talking about drew as far as you know in my mind it's okay so i'm going to catch the stress prior to it happening as soon as the stress happens uh, the damage is done to my crop and i'm losing money so if i can catch it early and do something about it, then I'm saving myself money. And that's kind of an easy example to say, hey, this is, uh, this is worth the, uh, the investment, both in money and yeah. in learning. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the examples we have for the Altum that we've been showing people is there's this orchard, there's this, uh, not orchard, there's a vineyard that's got an irrigation, that has irrigation lines going. Um, and you look at the, you look at the thermal and there's five spots that are cold that are basically representing irrigation leaks. And then you look at the, the multispectral data and you can see where those irrigation leaks have caused excessive growth. Um, and, and in some of those areas, there's no, there's no excessive growth. So that tells me that that irrigation leak just started happening. The other areas, um, it's been occurring long enough to cause a change in the plant's growth. So like if I were just using the multispectral data, I'd only see what what happened as a result of the irrigation leak, not the irrigation leak specifically. That's and that's Patrick, one of the one of the things I recommend, like that's the easiest thing for interpreting your data is like is really planting test strips or running small little experiments so you can calibrate the imagery to your specific farm. So if you're interested in fertility issues, you fertilize a test strip and then you calibrate the rest of your crops to what is a known difference that you applied or you know you crank down the water in a certain area you can look at what drought what does drought stress look at like on my farm well i did it in this 10 meter section and this is what it looks like and that's what it shows up on the imagery and how how early does it show up well fly repeatedly so calibrate your to your own specific farm and you'll have a pretty good idea of what it looks like in the imagery that sounds all sciencey 
you know, I'm more of a seat of the pants guy. No, I'm kidding. No, but no, no, uh, your pants, you're like, I don't know what this looks. The literature says this, but why don't I just fertilize an area on my farm and see what it looks like? Oh, look, that's what full fertility looks like. Now I have it something to compare to the rest. I think it's more of a shotgun approach of like, why don't I just look at my specific farm and go from there? You know. Okay, so we're almost out of time. The 45 minutes happened quick. Drew, website, people can learn more about these fantabulous sensors. Yeah, absolutely. So it's uh, you can just go to micasense.com. Uh, another another place you could go is blog.micasense.com. You'll see some case studies there on how the data is currently being used. And um, I think one of the, like, I guess one of the themes that we've kept touching on is, like, the specificity of the application um, for a certain – for a particular user, um, so I guess if you have a particular application you're 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 curious about, the best thing to do would be to just reach out to to somebody. I mean, I'd be happy to talk. I'm sure Greg would be happy to talk. And like, I guess experts in the field can point you to the best solution for what you're trying to do, if there is one. Excellent, and that runs out the show. So I want to thank uh, you guys for being on and. Um... You know, it's hard to cram the world's oldest profession into 45 minutes, but uh, I think we did a pretty good job. Anyway, all right, uh, thanks for being on, and uh, until next time, uh, you know, you guys take it easy. Thanks, Patrick. Yeah, thanks, Patrick.